Oh yeah. Um yeah. Dirty yeah. burden. What? Oh yeah. What? What? Where? Oh yeah. You are listening to Ink Studs on CITR 101.9 FM. Uh yeah. UBC Vancouver, if you want to call us, it is 604-822-CITR, 604-822-2487. This is the radio show about comics. Um, today we're going to talk about self-publishing. As you can hear, Colin is currently stapling his own mini-comic, of which I'm going to bash him in the head with a stapler if he doesn't stop soon. It's a lovely thing. The Violence. Stanley Bowstitch stapler. It's like, it's a long neck stapler. It's about, I don't know, 18 inches long. Well, more like 16 inches long. Heavy steel. Stanley Bow Stitch long neck stapler. I swear this has been standard issue for just about every mini comic small press cartoonist out there. I've never seen a stapler so large. I always wondered how you guys did it. It's, it's, it's a stapler you could conquer the world with, really. You can take over small kingdoms with that stapler. Yeah. But uh, this is yeah. This this it's is just an example of the sort of thing that the dictator's choice in staplers, <laughs> Stanley Bostitch. <laughs> this is the sort of thing that that the hundreds of thousands of small press cartoonists across the world have been doing for years and years is stapling their own damn mini comics one after another. <laughs> I'm taking it away from you soon, Colin. <laughs> Not finished. The Captain Ruck Doctors. Okay. We are Ink Studs. Now that Colin and I are done arguing with each other, the fist will be thrown later. Today we're talking about small press, mini comics, all sorts of that stuff. This is going to be a lot of me asking Colin questions because I'm just a comic reader. Colin <laughs> is a, a mere reader. A mere reader. Colin is one of those creators. Yes. Um, a we, small press pioneer in these small here press parts. Pioneer. I just want to say, uh, we listened to Kid 606 off his Who Still Kill Sound album. The track was Fat with a PhD. And the fat was spelt P H A T with a PhD. Get it? No. I'm going to play a lot of music tonight that, or today, this afternoon, that is just a lot of stuff people put out their own, on their own labels and stuff. Um, just kind of keep it that DIY ethic. Do it yourself. Because, you know. Respect to the people that really, you know, find what they want to do and put it out. I'm sorry last week was a repeat. We played the Seth interview, but I was asleep. I know that's the lamest excuse. I had to do a graveyard shift and got off work at like 7.30. And so that's what happens when I, you know, sleep. But we won't have a problem in the future. In case we aren't able to make shows, I will be making up a intermediary show to be played in between. So, Colin, mini-comics. Yes. How did you get into mini-comics? Well, let's go back to the golden days of the... Gosh, and, What was it, late 70s, early 80s, when there wasn't a whole lot, hell of a lot going on in comics? Underground comics were on the wane, were on the way out. The head shops had closed up. And uh, for a while there, there just didn't seem to be any place to go. There was a ground level comics movement between the undergrounds and the alternatives in the late 70s which was uh, trying to bring freedom and creativity of the undergrounds to a more mainstream style 
Uh, Starstruck was one of the comics that came out during that time. I guess the the most well-known survivors from that period were ElfQuest and Cerebus. Didn't, but, did TMNT come around the same time, or was that later? That was later. Okay, sorry. But, like I say, there wasn't a hell of a lot going on in comics, uh, underground, alternative comics. But uh, what did happen was the emergence of photocopy technology, which made it possible for people to print sh- small print runs themselves. I mean, before you had to go to an offset printer and there were all the initial setup costs and there were minimum print runs. You have to like run off at least a thousand to make it worthwhile. But with a photocopier, you could do is it was the same price no matter how many or how few you did. And I mean, it's hard for people now to believe, but at that time, photocopiers were revolutionary. You know, it's not like everybody had a three-in-one at home that uh, could do it. You had to go off and and find these machines. And for the small press cartoonists, you had to find... Not only did you have to find a machine, you had to find a machine that did reduction. Because what you would do is you would take... uh, You would do your artwork, reduce it down 64%, which was the standard and the only reduction level that most machines did... It's like most machines did 64% down, but if you're lucky, they would do 78 and 64. And you would reduce it down, paste up the comic on an 8.5 by 11 sheet, and then the hunt would begin for the good photocopy machine. Because a lot of the photocopy machines were no good. So people in the small press in Vancouver, you get to know each other, and you'd talk about where the good machines were. And and everybody would, like, give you tips. Like, one of the best machines was over here at UBC at the chemistry department. And word got out. So all these cartoonists would be showing up at the chemistry department at UBC to do photocopying. <laughs> I mean, How the did first, the chemistry department feel? Uh, they, they When I went there to do my photocopies, they seemed amused, but they didn't mind. We paid. I paid. I mean, the, the first photocopy machines, the paper was on rolls, mm. on this sort of plasticky kind of surface. Kind of like how a fax machine paper was for a while. Yeah, yeah, it, it was bizarre. But the first mini-comics I ever came across were at a, uh, a comic convention here in Vancouver. I ran into someone from Victoria who uh, wanted to set himself up as a mini-comic distributor. That, that went nowhere. But he introduced me to the first mini-comics, and I think amongst the first mini-comics I'd ever seen was something called Penguins in Bondage, <laughs> which is a little mini-comic of drawings of penguins in bondage. And th- this was probably the first famous uh, mini-comic that came out because it was just so damn weird that everybody heard about it. And it wasn't long before people all over North America were starting to uh, do their own mini-comics, you know. Uh, Doing the art, photocopying, cutting, folding, stapling with the bow stitch. Stapler. Now, the bow stitch stapler, was that a common utility? Was that always available back in the day? Well... Or is this something that was released later? I'm not exactly sure. Actually, I, I was kind of a latecomer to the bow stitch myself. I didn't have one for many years. I actually, the first, I don't know, hundreds or maybe thousands of mini comics I put out, 
I photo I, I stapled with a cheap Chinese swing stapler, where where the body would actually swing out, allowing you to to do the staples. Oh wow! And this is something I got in Chinatown for like five dollars and or less, and it used great wall staples, and I used that for many many years until I just. It just it just wasn't functioning properly, and I went out and I finally got the bow stitch. Yeah, but, uh, that but this? by the time I got my bow stitch, it was pretty much standard with everybody I knew. Now this bow stitch we're currently looking at, it looks in pretty good shape. This isn't the same bow stitch you got originally, is it? Oh yeah, it is. Do you wrap it in cloth when you put it away or something? No, no, they're just uh, quality quality product steel. You could hurt someone with this stapler. Um, I intend to someday. Oh, but that's an that's a that's another topic. That's neither here nor there. Now, you kind of answered my question. You kind of didn't. I was asking what got you into it. So, well, um, what got me into it was the fact that, uh, well, several things really. It was a chance to do mini comics. It was a chance to do comics um, without editorial control. I mean, you didn't have to go to a publisher. And I was very nervous about going to publisher, and I didn't think I was ready to go to a publisher. But by doing mini comics myself, I got in a lot of practice about for drawing and telling stories and the story, trying to find out the stories I wanted to tell. Um, it was cheap. I was on welfare. I had no money, um, but I could scrape together like eleven, twelve dollars to put out a mini comic and sell enough. To maybe make my money back and then print some more and uh, it was also a useful calling card because with my mini with the mini comics I could mail them to people that I admired I could contact people and of course back in the 80s back in the day there was this network of people across North America in particular who did mini comics and exchanged mini comics so there was virtually no day of the week where I wouldn't get mail from somebody, you know, swapping mini comics back and forth. So it was a great way to communicate with people. There, there were also review zines that you could send them to. Comics FX was a review zine that came out of Seattle. That I, I knew the guys there, and um, that was another way to network and. Um, get your name out there. Get yourself known. I mean, some people like Steve Willis, who did oh god, I can't remember his, the, the character's name, but uh, Steve Willis was a famous Washington State small press artist, and he was completely against the idea of profit or gain from doing his mini comics. He wanted them to be pure. He didn't like the idea of you know becoming rich and famous from this from mini comics. There was a time where mini-comics were getting a lot of attention. And if any of the small press artists could have gotten breaking out, broken out, uh, Steve Willis was one of them. I mean, Chester Brown started out doing small press. Now, what, what year was it that you first... Because I, I just want to get a little bit of context. Um, what year was it that you first started doing mini-comics? I think it was 1985. Okay. Now, who were some of the people, your contemporaries at that time? Oh, goodness. Oh, my mind's gone blank. Was Chester Brown was doing Yummy Fur then? Chester Brown, this was before Yummy Fur. Well, Chester, yeah, the Yummy Fur, the mini comic yeah. he was doing then. 
uh, uh, Steve Willis. Um, Okay, another question. Well, Colin tries and, you know, you've been partying too hard lately, Colin. Um, now, I've noted, you know, you still do mini comics today, so we have a lot of history. You know, we're talking, this is, a, what, you said 1985, so this mm-hmm. is 21 years later, still yeah. doing mini comics. Yeah. So who are some people that you've, you know... When you first started doing mini comics, were you exchanging them with like? Was there a lot of people at first, or was it something that slowly, gra- you know, gradually you got more and more people that you were exchanging with, or was it pretty quick, like within the first couple of years? <clears throat> um, I can't remember exactly, but uh, it didn't take that long because it was just starting out then, really. I mean. Like I say, I got to know the people at Comics FX, and once you get reviewed in the various review zines, people found out about you. There's a lot of networking, and uh, no, it didn't take long before started exchanging comics. And it was also, I think, about that time that uh, Love and Rocket started up, uh, that the alternative comics started going. So. There were whole there was a, like I said, there's a big hole in comics after the undergrounds died mm-hmm. out and the small press and the alternative comics started to fill that hole. I think the small press comics started out first. So we say small press. What are some some titles you're thinking of from that era that really started to open up? You're thinking like Weirdo? Would that be one or that be under to underground? Yeah, it's a matter of definition. Uh Actually, Peter Beck had put out a, a series of uh, newspaper size comics with, I think, J.D. King in New York. Yeah. Before, uh, before Hate, before... Before Weirdo? Before Weirdo. There, there were people in various cities doing, attempting to, to bring comics out to a larger audience. Um, I'm just asking too many questions, aren't I? Already got you stumped. Well, it was a long time ago. Okay. Um, now, doing your mini-comics, like, you pretty much, you've got your name, Colin Upton, and you've gotten a lot of acclaim, a lot of critical acclaim, from doing mini-comics, and it's something you still continue to do, um, and you've had some deviances, is that a good word to use, into regular comics. Now... Do you find that that ability to be able to control your own output, do whatever you want, um, in comparison to, say, doing something for another company? I don't know. What were some of the publishers you worked for with regular comics? You did something for Fantagraphics, right? For Eros? Uh, After a while, shortly after it started, really, um, small press for a lot of people, including me, became a way of trying to get into the big league alternative comics publishers like Fantagraphics and like I like I say the mini comics served as a training ground and a calling card for a lot of people they didn't want to get beyond the mini comics me I wanted to do alternative comics and I can't say that when I was published by Fantagraphics I can't say they really restricted my freedom or editorial they didn't actually give me any editorial input at all at Fantagraphics (laughs) Did you feel they like- didn't really seem all that interested in what I was doing? <laughs> to be honest, 
Um, so that way I didn't feel restricted. Just with yourself, you, you didn't feel like if you're doing... Like, say if you're doing a mini-comic, do you have a different mindset when you're doing the comic than you would for doing, you know, a standard size comic? Not really. Like, Although I, I do feel certainly more pressure with a, a comic book. There's more with, with a proper publisher and distribution, there's more pressure. Uh, with small press comics, you have more freedom to just screw around and experiment and do whatever you want. With When I was with Fantagraphics, I was always anxious to, you know, try and increase my sales to impress the publishers just simply so they will continue publishing my comic. There was that pressure, certainly. I think with small press, if you did something and it didn't work, it's an eight-page mini-comic. Who cares? Aww. You know, I mean, because you can just do another eight-page mini-comic. But how many chances are you going to have with a proper publisher with a 32-page book that is costing them money because it's not selling enough? So, yeah, there is more pressure. And there's also more attention. Mm -hmm. I think critics are less forgiving for, you know, a, an actual comic that's published by, you know, by a, a real comics company than they would be for a uh, small press. There's a certain higher standard of presentation involved. So, yeah, it's a little more nerve-wracking doing the real thing, doing the real big full-size comics. Um, okay, we're going to take a little break. It's about 25 past 2. Have a little air. We talk lots. So we need just a little water to wet our throats. I'm going to play a little Bikini Kill. The uh, reason I'm playing Bikini Kill is before Kathleen Hanna had Bikini Kill, she was doing a zine, I think she's still doing it well, doing Bikini Kill, called Riot Girl, which started a whole movement and stuff, but it's a more another example of kind of DIY. Do it yourself. You have something you want to do, you just go out and do it instead of just letting it sit there in your brain, waiting until someone wants to cough up the cash to do it. So this is Feels Blind, Bikini Kill, off the CD version of the first two records.
inside. You give me so much gratitude.
Nothing! That was Nico doing Heroes, and I really couldn't take much more of that. I thought, you know, I forgot how... Yeah. <laughs> we could be heroes! Just for one day. Die. That was Nico off... Uh, I don't know if it's a bootleg or not, that I found uh, called Live Heroes, and it's Nico doing Heroes... Procession, that's a Nico song. Uh, My Funny Valentine, uh, All Tomorrow's Parties, Femme Fatale, The End, and uh, Secret Side, another Nico song. Um, the My Funny Valentine's pretty funny. Uh-huh. Funny Valentine! This is Ink Studs and CITR 101.9. I've just busted Colin's eardrums with my singing. Uh, another victim. I'm going to start stapling again if you're not careful. Uh-oh, no more singing. CITR 101.9 FM online at www.citr.ca. I wasn't stapling. We're talking about mini comics and stuff. I just have a couple announcements to make. Uh, this Saturday at the Jolly Alderman at 8 o'clock is the monthly comics jam where a bunch of local comic artists, Colin included, will be there doing comics. They sit around and uh, everyone kind of puts in a panel to a page and some of them make sense and some of them don't. And uh, they all have fun. And there's karaoke. I don't know if the karaoke's happening anymore. Oh, no. I thought Ed said it was done. Oh, that's yeah. too bad. You like the singing? I think you said there might be karaoke. Well, that would be nice for you guys. I'm not going to be able to make it, unfortunately. I have something else to do that night. <sighs> Colin's so disappointed in me. I'm not an artist, though, so really it would be me doing stick figures. Well, that's, and lots. that's one of the beauties of small press. It doesn't matter. People have made whole careers just drawing stick figures. Look at Matt Fiesel. Jeffrey Brown, almost. almost. His stuff a little better than stick figures. Yeah, yeah. Some people would say Chris Ware's stuff was like that, but... Who would say that other than... Rawl. <laughs> Boo, Rawl. Boo. I don't, actually, I don't care. You can have your opinion. I don't really care. Ted Rawl, kick his arse. That is the first time I've ever heard Colin say he's going to kick someone's arse. Colin's not a violent man. Er. He'd rather go and uh, give someone flowers than a fist. Does that sound about right? Depends where you put it. Did <laughs> couple other announcements. Uh, Comic-Con on the 22nd. Um, all the usual suspects will be there, including... I forget the guy's name. He's a colorist who is working on the ultimate um, Hulk versus Wolverine. Um, let's see if I can find the guy's name. What is his name, Colin? What I don't know. I don't go to these things. Okay. Well... We'll find out. But I'll be there talking, you know, going saying hi to my friends. Robin Bougie will be there. Ed Grissom will be there. Um, Dave McCaig, that's his name. He is the guy. Um, or Ed Brisson. And uh, let's see. Let's go over the list here. Dave McCaig, Darren D. Javis, Kelly Everhart, Ed Brisson, Miriam Libicki, uh Ken Bosom, uh, Vern Andrew, Sarah Haxby, uh, Fred Grissom. The creator of Hate Song. Well, actually, I've got to give that guy some money. I just picked up a couple of pages of his stuff. Um, Hate Song is hilarious. It's uh, If you go to our live journal, 
livejournal.com uh, slash users slash ink studs, you will see uh, um, our entries. Uh, and I have uh, Hate Songs, one of my friends, so you can take a look and see what it is. Radar Friends will be there, who I'm hoping to have on soon. Um, a group of very talented local ladies. Um, really great stuff. I recommend going there. Just pick up some uh, Radar Friends minis. Uh, Robin Thompson will be there, the uh, champion of hell himself, and Little Nataz. That's Satan backwards. And uh, Richard Forg, Jody Kramer, and some guy named Robin Bougie. Him. Who was nice enough to join me a couple weeks ago as a co-host friend joining me when someone else couldn't make it. Boo, Colin. Um, and we had a nice young gentleman from Alabama named uh, Corey McDaniel was joining us. He'll probably be at the... Have you met Corey yet? I don't know. Well, he'll be at the Comics Jam. Um, I know he'll probably be there because he's looking forward to it. He just moved up here to go to art school, or not art school, uh, Vancouver Film School to take animation. Um, and that kind of reminds me, if we're talking here about um, small press comics, and one thing it's still happening today in a different format is online comics is a big thing, um, which is something I want to kind of not. I'm not going to talk about today. So I want to kind of talk with Ed Brisson about because he's like the online comic guy. He's doing this uh, anthology called "You Ain't No Dancer." Dancer, I like to say dancer. Dancer. Sorry for singing in, Colin. Um, but we'll I'll have him on sometime, and we'll talk about online comics and stuff. And actually, someone who we should one day interview who who is all about online comics and thought the future of comics was online everyone thought he was crazy but you know what he's kind of right scott mcleod well perhaps that's a debate for another day but uh i think online comics certainly play a role i think they have their place i just think that that i don't think it means it excludes others other types of comics see the problem i have with scott mcleod is that it seems like Online comics, everybody must do online comics now, or you are a washed up has been nobody dinosaur. And this all the only way you're going to see comics is online. There's not going to be any more books. Sounds mean. Did he make you cry? Oh, it just it's just that absolutism that that annoyed me because I think there is a place for online comics. I think online comics have taken a lot of the energy of the small press and taking it onto the internet. Uh, but I still think there's a place for all kinds of comics. Alrighty. Okay, let's bring the, the conversation back to the mini-comics. Um, as a young whippersnapper in 19... Let's let's take a look at Colin and say 1981, 1979, 1980? Well, um... 1983? Art, art school dropout on art, welfare? Art school dropout on welfare. Yeah, yeah. Wow, it's like half the population of East Van. Feeling very depressed. Yeah, that's, but yeah. yeah. So, comics. You you're a young man getting into comics. What were some of your influences that made you go, I want to do this? Well, I mean, before any of that, before any of small press, um, I'd grown up on Tintin and Asterix the Gaul were my great uh, influences <laughs> when I was a young man. I read comics, you know the. The normal stuff, the war comics. Actually, when I was young, we had a greater variety of mainstream comics. You not only had superhero comics, you had war comics, you had horror comics, you had Tarzan comics. It was a greater variety of mainstream work. But 
I sort of, being a um, pretentious young person, I left all that stuff behind to read stuff which I thought was more sophisticated, like Tintin and Asterix. In English, of course, because I couldn't speak French. Can you speak French today? No, well, still can't. It's unfortunate. And then uh, in the late 60s, I discovered Underground Comics, which was a totally bizarre and different approach to comics that I found pretty inspiring, although I couldn't actually relate when I was, well... Ten? ten well... Nine? Eight? More seven. like 16, I guess, well, like 14, I really couldn't relate to the whole sex and drugs thing and the hippies. They all stink anyways. Yes. Hippies, that is. But, uh... Uh, I've been wanting to do comics for a long time. I'd grown up on uh, Giles was also another big favorite, the editorial cartoonist from Great Britain. Mm -hmm. I grew up on British comics. I grew up on French comics. Uh, Later I grew up, I discovered underground comics. And then when Small Press came along, it was just an opportunity for me to do comics without any rules without any anybody interfering um when i started doing the small press comics i was of course one of the biggest problems that anybody who starts out doing comics has is what am i going to talk about what am i going to do comics about my first comics was a collection of drawings of people i'd seen on groundville mall called ground street gallery and put out at the same time a socialist turtle which was a comic strip i'd been doing in a zine about a, a, a Trotskyite commie turtle and his adventures. Now, was this, this is pre-Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? Way, way pre-Teenage Mutant Let's just make this very Oh, clear. I don't think there's any connection, really. But I, the, the whole comic strip was basically based on making fun of all the Marxist-Leninists that I would run into downtown because I was going to demonstrations, I was into politics, and I'd drop in on the Marxist-Leninist bookstore, and they all talk so funny, like like people from, from old movies, like commies from old movies, and I just make fun of them. Uh, like a major inspiration behind that was uh, Mad Magazine, which I grew up on. And Mad Magazine taught me the very important lesson to make fun of everybody, even though I was Bryce. kind of a leftist um, person myself. Uh, even though I was on the left myself, it didn't stop me from making yeah. fun of people on the left. Can you hold on a sec? And, uh, Sorry about that, Colin. I got oh. someone on the phone who needs a phone number. Okay. And... Uh, when I started getting into small press, I discovered people like Harvey Picar, who was a major influence on my on my original mini comics. He was uh, he still is from Cleveland. He a retired filing clerk now, but he was his filing clerk from Cleveland who did autobiographical comics, which were a very new thing at that time. And uh, hello, okay, it's eight two two three zero one seven. You're going to have to leave a message there. Sorry. I'm just on the air. Okay. Sorry about that, Colin. That's okay. Someone wanted a number. Um, now, Harvey P. Carr, you got him to do an introduction for one of your minis, or was it a collection that of That was minis? my first full-size comic book was uh, the original big thing, which was published by Ed Varney locally, and Harvey P. Carr did the introduction. But it was through mini comics that I got to know him. I would send him stuff, and we corresponded. 
I, I actually one of I actually did a mini comic about going taking a trip to Victoria to meet him in person at a signing at a comic store there. Nice. Was he as nice in person as? Oh yeah, yeah. He's he's kind of a strange guy, but was yeah. Joyce there? Yep, yep. Got along fine with Joyce. And uh, you know, other other people. Oh, you were t- you were asking earlier about other people who started out in mini comics. Uh, well, I could name people like Ed Brubaker and Julie Doucet. And so Ed Brubaker was doing stuff. When when was his first stuff that you saw by him? Jason Lutz. I can't remember. Okay, because I didn't know he actually started with minis. Like. Yeah, I've got some minis at home that he did, I'm pretty sure. Now, I guess those are probably recollected. Those are lowlifes, are they? Yep. Okay. Now, Julie Doucet is like, you know, one of those names that you hear. It's like, you know, excellent, excellent, excellent stuff. And and she did uh, Dirty Plot was her mini. Uh, Jason Lutz, what was the mini that he did? He's another person that's just excellent. Jar of Fools, I believe, was the... That was a mini originally? It started out as a strip, I believe, in... um, one of the free papers in Seattle, and then was collected into a self-published mini comic, okay. which was picked up later. I was saying, even Love and Rockets started out as Love Rockets. Love Rockets. Love Rockets was a, a small press zine that they put out, which was picked up and reprinted as the first issue of Love and Rockets. Love Rockets is still excellent to the day. Well, I like yeah. the Jaime stuff. Not a fan of the Vito. Yeah, Vito fan. That, like I say, there was a lot of energy, a lot of people. Uh, if you are familiar at all with the work of Matt Howarth, Matt Howarth has a vast small press library that he's done in all different formats. I mean, he's, he's done a, a mini-comic in a matchbox now, kind is this of thing. Matt Howarth, that's someone the, you want us to interview soon. Yeah, uh, the Annoying Post Brothers. Okay. Matt, Tim. Yeah, so everybody was doing it at the time. Now, is there anyone, now, no problem if you can ask this, was there anyone from that day that you remember was so, just so brilliantly talented that put out mini-comics in it and just kind of like faded away? Lots. Lots? Lots of people. Lots of people who, who did mini-comics created quite a buzz, and then after a while, they just went on to other things because for a lot of people, the mini-comics weren't, a career they weren't a lifelong obsession it was just something they did not really expecting any sort of great reward they weren't expecting to go on to bigger things they weren't um, particularly all that interested um, like I said I mentioned earlier the name Steve Willis uh, he was a lot of buzz around his name in small press he could have broken out got done a similar thing like other people like Chester Brown did but he just wasn't interested in in for whatever reason he didn't want to pollute the work he didn't want to he really wasn't interested in success or careerism or anything yeah so there's a number of them that just sort of you wonder what happened to them and they're probably just living their happy productive lives they're just not uh they're just not interested in making a career of it cuz in many ways, small press is a very warm, safe, supportive place to be. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember the guy's name. The guy who does King Cat. He's mm-hmm. beloved, and he's 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 stuck with his small press work, and and he's very successful at it, and he's gotten a lot of regard for it. But it's almost like the, the way it felt to me going from small press to Fantagraphics, 
is that when I was doing small press originally, I was getting a lot of good attention. And then I, it's like going from elementary school to high school. And in grade seven in elementary school, you're like, King of the world. King of the world. You're top of the totem pole. You know, you're, you're, everybody's paying attention to you. And then you get to grade eight in high school and you're back down there at the bottom again. So, and, and not only that, you have to grovel to publishers. And I've always had a very bad record when it comes to, uh, the grovel. Selling myself to, to people. Um, cause, I mean, I don't have a lot of confidence in being able to sell enough titles to make it worth their while to publish an actual comic. So for me, after I did the small press and then I was published by a series of alternative publishers like Fantagraphics and Aeon and Starhead, and then that all dried up and I couldn't find another publisher. For me, for me going back to small press was just sort of an outlet. I needed an outlet. I needed a place to go, and I didn't have one. But small press is a nice, sort of safe, warm, and comfortable place to be. Really, it's kind of it's kind of a trap it's, that it's like way. Like a big blanket. It's like a. It's yeah. It's nice. There's not so much of a struggle with with publishers and editors and critics and expectations so in a way it's kind of pathetic but in another way it's nice that's nice because you know i mean i look back at my career and i think doing the small press was when i had the most fun doing comics yeah I, it, it's something, something i want to get to i'm trying to decide do you want to take a quick breather break or do you want to keep talking for the next time <laughs> i can talk you can talk but boom okay um we're gonna keep talking um local stuff Let's talk about some local guys, because, like, uh, you, you've you been involved in, like, kind of, you know, really, like, at the early in their career. Like, I've looked at a lot of people's early uh, uh, minis, and they say... face little whippersnappers. Little whippersnappers. And they're, showing up in the big city. Yeah, coming in from out of town. Mm-hmm. And there there is some, like, really great local stuff going back, like, the last ten years. Um, mm-hmm. Ian Boothby was at I. That was his thing, which I think was an excellent mini and he's ashamed to talk about it from what i understand now mostly him complaining about whatever and well, stuff most people don't really like to go back to their earlier work yeah it is kind of embarrassing when you look at it um james lloyd is another person who started out with the, the minis who's minis right now he's still putting out minis james lloyd's other stuff which is hilarious Pick yes. up James Lloyd's other stuff. Uh, new issue, I think, is out now. Well, like a lot of people that I knew in the small press who... I mean, James has got actual paying comics work with Bongo, which... Same with Ian. Uh, with, yeah, but unfortunately, it makes it difficult for them to find the time to do their own work, mm-hmm. which is a great pity. And then there's uh, Robin Bougie, who we are talking about earlier, who's a great example Uh one of the few people who's actually been able to keep going with with what he's doing creatively and do okay at it with Cinema Sewer. Um, I don't know if he necessarily does as well with his uh, more, um, how you put it, delicately controversial subject matter. It's all controversial, really. Yeah, no, I, there's stuff more controversial than Cinema Sewer. Uh, um, and I, I was having boggles lunch. the mind, really. Boggles the mind. I had a little uh, lunch with Bougie the other day, and I asked him, uh, you know, any any words to say we're going to talk about mini comics? And he's like, yeah, don't do it. <laughs> oh, 
So if that you're going into bitter it, old man, <laughs> bitter old man. No, it, it, honestly, if you're going into it, go in for the love of it. Don't go into it expecting to be Ed Brubaker and end up being like one of the top comics writers. Don't expect to be Harvey Pekar and you know work at. I don't know. He's got doing okay now, but you know he's worked hard his whole life to get to this point. Um, I, I think one thing that really stands out is these people that have worked really hard standing out and really doing some great stuff like um, Chester Brown whatever that man touches I'll buy that <laughs> heartbeat like his stuff just so good um, you yourself have actually been able to, to get around quite well just off your minis and stuff you know? well that was one of the great things about uh, mini comics was is that I got to go to the San Diego Comic Convention as a pro by putting out eight page mini comics which I thought was the greatest scam ever. <laughs> and you know what? There's probably a lot more creative merit to the uh, to, to what you did than compared to, say, you know, something Marvel put out then. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm not going to bash too badly today. No, no. We, they're not even part of the world that we're talking about anymore. That's the thing. Um, it's mini comics are a great training ground. They're a great way to work on ideas, to find out what ideas that you want. And if you're interested at all in doing small press mini comics, I suggest you go to some place like the Comic Shop or RX Comics that, that usually have a, a nice variety of small press stuff that you can look at, be inspired by. Yeah, there's not a lot of comic stores that have much small press selection in town. There's there's RX Comics. Um, Lucky's. Don't forget about Lucky's. Oh, Lucky's, yes. They have a great selection of minis. Um, they're more concentrated on small press stuff than anything else. Mm -hmm. um, I think they make their bread and butter off magic cards. But they have, like, they, they really, they, they get a lot of, they put up a lot of art in there. It's a small space, but they do whatever they can to uh, really promote a lot of local stuff. Um, you actually did Tea Time with Colin tea at time. Lucky's. And yeah. apparently they had a fair show out, too. Yes, they're saying. Yes. Well, it was it was a fun was had by all we um, Terry, you know Owen and Terry. Terry made some delicious scones, and I made cookies, and we had tea. The only problem was it was the middle of the afternoon in a really hot August. But other than that, it went splendidly. Well, we'll have to do a uh, a tea time in April when it's not so hot. Yes, tea time with the ink studs. Can can we bring tea in here? I don't think we're allowed any drinks or food in here. Oh man, yeah. Oh, uh, oh, my phone. phone's ringing again. I'm going to play a song. I'm going to play Throbbing Gristle, Hot on the Heels of Love, off their album 20 Jazz Funk Great Hits. Um, once again, another example of independent people doing stuff themselves. And, yeah, we'll be back and say a couple more things.
Heels of love. <sighs> That's why they call it Throbbing Gristle. It's a classic album, Twin Jazz Funk Hits. They had their record label, Industrial Records. And I kind of just, I want to put that on um, because they actually got involved with a lot of their own do-it-yourself art movements. They had the Kum Transmissions, um, a lot of influence from Burroughs and Brian Geisen. Um, I love Throbbing Gristle. Me and some friends are going to do 24 hours of Throbbing Gristle where we're going to listen to the uh, Throbbing Gristle 24-hour box set of live concerts for 24 hours straight and document it and probably go insane. Sounds like fun. Yeah, I'm going to be drinking a lot of Red Bull. Oh, one thing I should mention. When you're talking about inspirations for small press, the DIY thing. Yeah. One thing I hadn't mentioned was punk rock. Punk, punk rock, rock! Punk rock was a big part of the whole movement. The whole DIY, do-it-yourself attitude that uh, you didn't need record companies or publishers or editors. You just went out and did it yourself. Nice. That's when a lot of uh, punk zines were happening. So small press mini comics were very much a part of the whole punk rock culture. Well, I think I'm going to end the show off today with a little local punk rock then. The Modernettes from their Get It Straight album recently released on Sudden Death Records. Um, if you'd like to check out local zines or mini comics, like I said, you can go to um, Arx Comics. Uh, Maine, uh, Lucky's Comics on Maine. You can go to um, the comic, comic shop, shop has stuff. And I think Is Magpie. I've never been to Magpie. You keep saying Magpie. I've never been. I've never been. Yeah. So, well, I, I I understand they do carry local zines. Um, I don't know mini comics. I'm not sure. Okay, so we're gonna end off with Modernette, uh, Femme Fatale from their Get It Straight album, playing Femme Fatale because I play the Nico and you know. Let's let's continue the groove. This is Ink Studs. Up next, we have Rhymes and Reasons. On Tuesday, uh, next week is the uh, 24 Hours of Art, Sound Art. Um, I think I'm going to be in there at some point doing some stuff. It's going to be fun. It's the Art's Birthday from 12 a.m. till 12 midnight. 24 Hours of Musical Sound Collage Experimental Stuff. It's going to be good times. So uh, take a listen. Once again, fodder.